0: Thank you, Ken. I saw Larry Linke walk in, and I uh, thought about when I was at Criswell the first time. I left in 1988. left Criswell College to plant a church, and I pastored that church for 10 years, and then I was invited to come back to Criswell College in 1998, and Larry Linky was a student when I left, and he was still a student. From- left. <laughs> <laughs> So it was like coming back to the same old student body. It was but uh, he did graduate that year. And I thought that I held the world's record for graduation. It took me about six years to get through college, but Larry broke the record. Did you get a master's degree in that? I did. He got a master's The next year. But the following year? That's good. So I also wanted to announce the upcoming uh, Criswell Theological Review, which we're in the editing process right now. It's going to be on Christian and alcohol. And uh, we're an academic journal, so what we do is we'll take a topic like that and we look at it from every angle. We allow people from all the different positions to state their case. And the journal makes no statement. In other words, that's what we are. We're an academic journal. We let people read, determine who made the best argument. So that'll be out probably uh, in the first week or second week in April, I'm back from the printer. So if you're interested in uh, having one of those, let me know. We're charging, for those of you who are really interested in that journal, twice the normal cost, okay? (laughs) If you're not interested, we'll be glad to make arrangements for you at the normal price. (laughs) Okay, let's take our Bible and open up to Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. That's a controversial issue, and it's a great issue to study, because the Bible has a lot to say on both sides. It's not a one-sided deal, so it's uh, very interesting. Okay, uh, Luke chapter 4, and we're going through verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. This is a Bible study, it's not preaching. Some people say it was a good sermon today, but we're just going through a Bible study. And... Last week, we were in chapter 4, verses 14 through 30, and we saw Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth, and he went into a synagogue, and he preached. And if you want to know what he preached, you can look down at verses 18 and 19. They are in red. And basically, he said that he has come to set the captives free. And he started talking about the kingdom of God coming upon the earth in some way, and he said that in his ministry that was being fulfilled. The blind were seeing, the poor were uh hearing the gospel preached to them, the captives were being set free and so on and so forth. And this week we pick up at verse 31 and he moves to another city. Now the reason he moves to another city is because when he <coughs> preached the gospel in his hometown it was rejected. He said to that to those people in his hometown of Nazareth, today this scripture is being fulfilled in your sight and in your hearing. And I'm the Messiah. And they didn't want to hear it. And they tried to kill him. And they threw him out of his hometown. So now he comes to a city of Capernaum. And look at verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. quarrel. Notice that. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. So what he's doing in this next town is the same thing he did in his hometown. He's going into the synagogues on Saturday and he's teaching them. What's he teaching them? I think the same thing that he taught in the other synagogues. Now I want you to notice a few things. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 31, it says he went down to Capernaum. This is not a direction. It doesn't mean that he went from north to south. This deals with geography and elevation. Uh, Nazareth... Is approximately 900 feet above sea level. Capernaum, where he goes, is over 600 feet below sea level. So when it says he's going down, he's going down. Uh, I guess in elevation is how we should say that. But he's still in the region of Galilee. Now, notice in verse 32, it says they were astonished. That's the same response that he got back in his hometown. Remember that. Back in verse 22, and we're going to compare and contrast these two events, because I think that's what Luke wants us to do. He wants us to tell how he was received in his hometown and then see how he was received in the next town. And he wants us to see the comparison and the contrast. In verse 22 in his hometown, they bore him witness, and they marveled at his gracious words. Look at that. Now look at verse 32 in the next town. They were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority. Same response, same initial response. Jesus speaks with authority, he speaks with wisdom that's above uh, the level of what we would call human common sense, and they realize that his words have God's power behind them. Now look at verse 33. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? So what happens is that when Jesus preaches in this synagogue in Capernaum, he's immediately confronted with a demon-possessed man. Now, very interestingly, what we see is that at the beginning of chapter 4, he's tempted by the devil. That's at the beginning of chapter 4. He's tempted by the devil. (coughs) In his hometown of Nazareth, he said he's come to set the captives free. People who are oppressed by the devil are going to be set free. Now, in verse 33 and 34, he's doing it. He's setting the captives free. We have this person who's demon-possessed, and he's going to set this man free. Jesus confronts the devil... And he's victorious over the devil in each round of confrontation. Now notice about this man in verse 33, it says he had a spirit. He's spirit-filled. Jesus is spirit-filled. Now to make sure that you understand the difference, Luke gives us an adjective. It says... He had a spirit. And then he tells you what kind of spirit the man was filled with. Unclean spirit. And if you don't get it yet, you make sure he adds the next word, demon. So he's distinguishing between the spirit that Jesus has and the spirit that the man has. Now you saw back in 418, Jesus said the spirit of the Lord is upon me. But the spirit of the devil is upon this other guy. So that's the contrast and the comparison that you need to be noticing. And then in verse... <coughs> Into verse 33, the demon speaks out at the top of his voice. Now, we, meet, we believe that he's speaking through the man's vocal cords. Notice what he says. Leave us alone. Who's the us? Probably the man and the demon in this particular case. The demon's controlling the man, and the man, as a result, has a negative influence. He wants to be left alone. Second of all, what do we have to do with you? Jesus of Nazareth, and the answer is nothing. Uh, you shouldn't be in our territory. This is a territory that I'm controlling. I'm controlling this man. You shouldn't be here. This man's mine. What, is, what do we have to do with you? And the answer, from the demon's standpoint, is absolutely nothing. And then the last question is, have you come to destroy us? And the answer is yes. Uh, the demon's asking that question, but the answer is yes. And how do we know that he's coming to destroy the works of Satan? Because back in verse 18, he said he came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So the answer is yes, he is indeed going to set this man free, and he is going to destroy the works of the devil. And then at the end of verse 34, the demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now that phrase, Holy One of God, has been mentioned one other time in Luke. All the way back in chapter 1, and verse 35, where Gabriel said, And the Holy One, the the little child who will be born to you, is the Holy One of God. So the devil identifies Jesus. The The devil, the demon in the child, recognizes Jesus as the Holy One of God, which means that he's the Messiah. Now look at verse 35. But. This is very important, the but there. That's what the demon said. Now, here's what Jesus said. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. In other words, shut up and get out. And Jesus (laughs) takes control of the situation. The demon wants to know what Jesus has to do with him. He's going to tell him what he has to do with him. I'll show you not only what what I'm going to have to do with you, but I'm going to show you what I'm going to do with you. And he Tells the demon to shut up and get out. Jesus takes control of the situation. And when the demon, verse 35, had thrown him in the midst, he came out and did not hurt him. So Jesus sets the captive free, and the man just collapses at Jesus' feet, but he's not injured. But the demon's gone, and the man is no longer controlled by the devil. He just collapses which is very interesting that shows you how much control the devil had over this man even using his voice now we have the reaction of the crowd look at verse 36 then they were all amazed and I would say that if someone came into this room like Larry came in today and uh, he started to say to me leave us alone (laughs) street what do you have to do with me you come to destroy me? And I said, shut up and come out. And suddenly, he just flipped out of his chair and he rolled right here on the floor. You would have the same reaction that these people had. Here's what it says in verse 36. It says they were all amazed, and guess what they did? They spoke among themselves and start talking to each other. See, that's exactly what would have happened. And you say, what a word is this? That's what you'd say. you say, man, did you see the teacher? What word is this? Look at this. For with authority and power, Alan Street commands unclean spirits, and they come out. See, that's what you would have said. Now remember, the, the, the people are just thinking of Jesus as a human being. We look at Jesus on this side of the cross and on this side of the resurrection with our Bible on our hands, and we know that he's more than a man, but the average people don't know that. They think this is a man. Whoa, what authority he has and what power he has. He commands, and guess what? Even unclean spirits you know, obey, and, and they come out of him. So this is uh, shows you the power of Jesus. Now, what a contrast between Nazareth, you see. Jesus said in verse 21, back in his hometown of Nazareth, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Remember what he said, I've come to set the captives free, and today it's fulfilled in your hearing. He could have cast demons right out of his own city. But instead they cast him out of the city. They could have experienced the miracles. Instead they experienced no miracles because of their unbelief. We know that from another gospel. But these people are thrilled They don't try to cast Jesus out. They're thrilled. And look what happens. It says, verse 37, And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. They were so excited that they just began to spread the word everywhere. They said, hey, you can't believe what happened yesterday over in the synagogue. Now remember, this is a religious man. He was in the synagogue. Don't think the demon-possessed people were wild people lurking in the bushes somewhere. A religious person who is demon possessed. A religious person who is demon possessed. Do you ever think that maybe in our church we might have some religious people who are demon possessed? They could even be deacons, couldn't they? Or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just threw that ass. I don't believe that. They could be Sunday school teachers. <laughs> Okay, hello. Now we come to miracle number two. Look at that. Verse 38. Now Jesus arose from the synagogue and he went out with the lunch bunch. Look, he goes to Simon's house. He goes to lunch. After the church service, he's going to go eat lunch. So he goes to Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick. With a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. Now, on what basis would you say they asked Jesus to take care of Simon's mother? Why would they say that? Well, I guess because of what just happened. If this guy could speak with authority and power and can cast out demons, maybe he can heal Simon's mother in law. So, based on the exorcism that we just saw, they asked Jesus for help. And so look what he does. Look at verse 39. He stood over her, which is in a position of authority, and he rebuked the fever. Same word he used back in verse 35. He rebuked the demon. Now look at this. In verse 39, he rebukes the fever, showing that Luke wants us to realize that this sickness is linked with demons. Now, not all sickness is linked with demons, but he wants us to realize that this sickness is linked to demons. And so look what it says. And immediately, it left her. The fever left her. Now, in verse 35, when he rebuked the demon, it came out. When he rebukes the sickness in verse 39, it comes out, it leaves her. The fever is gone. So it shows you that uh, it leaves just like the demon leaves. Now very interestingly to me that the first miracle involved a man. The first miracle that Luke records involves a man. The second miracle involves a woman. The first miracle involves an exorcism. The second miracle involves a healing, but both are dealt with the same way. Jesus rebukes them and they leave, they come out. So I believe that both of these are to be looked upon as having some sort of demonic source. Then look at the end of verse 39. And immediately she arose and she served them. She wasn't only released from her illness, but she was restored to her family and she was able to serve lunch and show her gratitude. It says she shows her gratitude And how does she show her gratitude? Through hospitality, which is very interesting. She shows her gratitude by service and in the service of those who were there at the house. And this is her way of showing thanksgiving. Now we come to a third miracle. A third miracle. Look at verse 40. When the sun was setting. Now remember, he was in the synagogue in the morning on the Sabbath. In fact, if you wanted to give this... Study a little title. It could be a a typical Sabbath day in Jesus' life. The morning he's in the synagogue. At noon he goes to lunch at Peter's house. Spend some time there. And then verse 40, the third miracle. When the sun was setting, now we have the dusk. All those who had any sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now, evidently the word gets around about the exorcism, the word gets around in the community about Peter's mother-in-law, and within hours the people were just flocking to Peter's house, standing on Peter's front yard, standing at the doorway, knocking and saying, hey, can the miracle man come out? And he comes out, and look what he does. He lays his hands, it says, on every one of them and healed them, every single person. And they had various kinds of diseases, not just one kind, all different kinds of diseases, showing that Jesus has authority over every sickness in life. Now, there is no precedence In the Old Testament, for anyone ever laying hands on a person and healing them. Now listen to that again. You cannot find one case in the Old Testament where anyone lays hands on a person and heals them. That is totally unique to Jesus. And it's unique to the Christian church after Jesus is resurrected. Now we do have, in the Old Testament, people laying hands to ordain or to anoint to impart the Holy Spirit, symbolic of imparting the Holy Spirit, but you have no cases of Jesus, uh, of people laying hands on another person and healing. So I think what's happening is that Jesus, in a sense, is laying his, Jesus, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, is laying hands upon the people, and the power of God is flowing in and through Jesus onto those people and those people are being healed. The power of God is coming in and through Jesus and touching those people's lives, and they're being healed. Now, it's very interesting to me that if you sort of read between the lines, in fact, you can just read the lines, but also just thinking through this issue, that unclean spirits are involved in sickness in this chapter. Unclean spirits are involved in illness and in sickness. And he makes that connection between spirit, demon spirit, and illness, and I think what he's doing is making a connection between Holy Spirit and wellness, or healing. And so Jesus lays hands, and the power of the Spirit flows out of his body into the others, and those people are healed. And we can then find, once Jesus is raised from the dead, That the church, in fact, in his great commission, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and you will lay hands upon the sick, and they will be healed. And then when you look in the book of Acts, also written by Luke, you see examples of people laying hands upon the sick and being healed. And I just want to show you two examples, and then I want to show you their explanation, which I think you will find very interesting. The first is found in Acts chapter 4. So turn over to Acts 4, and... Uh, If you don't have a Bible, listen to this passage very carefully. I will tell you what the story is. In Acts 3 and 4, Peter and John are going to the temple. And there's a man sitting in front of the gate called Beautiful. And he has not walked since birth, crippled since birth. And people carry him there, sit him in front of the gate, and he begs. He says, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And you know the story. Peter and John come by and they say, well, silver and gold have we none, but we'll give you what we have. You familiar with that? And they say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and be healed. And Peter grabs the man and raises him up. Now, what happens is that after that, Peter and John are arrested, and finally they're released. And they're back with the church, and they begin to pray. The church is praying. So what you have, beginning in chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, is a prayer. And notice verse 29. Notice the prayer. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. We can preach the gospel. Now, how does do they want God to grant that request that we would speak? Preach the gospel with boldness. Look at this. By stretching out your hand to what? Heal. Heal. Now notice they ask God to stretch out his hand and heal, but guess whose hands are are touching sick people? It's their hands. They're the ones that are touching the sick people, but they're asking God to stretch out his hands and touch them. So God is you, and that's what we are. We're the body of Christ. We are his hands. And you'll see this. Now look at this next chapter, chapter 5. Chapter 5. And look at verse 12. I'm only going to show you two examples, but there are more in the scripture. Chapter 5 and verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Look, through the hands of the apostles. Say That's the laying on of hands. Let me show you one other. And this is a case where it was not an apostle who does the healing, and that's important because there's a theory going around, only the apostles could heal, and that's simply not biblical. That's a nice thought, but it just doesn't fit scripture. Now look over at Acts chapter 9. Saul is on the Damascus road. He has a vision, blinding light from heaven. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You know that story. He tells Saul to go into the city. He'll meet a man by the name of Ananias. And so uh, what we have is we have in verse 17, Ananias went his way and he entered the house. And watch this. Remember, Paul was blind. Remember that? He entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who has appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you might receive your what? Sight. Sight And be filled with. With the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once. And he arose and he was baptized. Notice it was through the man's laying on of hands. Who's Ananias? Who's he? Just a Jewish guy? Jewish believer? Happened to live in Damascus? Godly person? Filled with the Holy Spirit? So here we see a laying on of the hands. Now I believe Jesus laid his hands on Simon's mother-in-law, and she was healed. That was unique to Jesus, and it is unique to the church. I don't see any reason why we shouldn't have a ministry like that. Now, that's my opinion. I know I'm a radical. but You'll get used to that, right? So I believe that God calls us to pray for people. And touch is one of the most important things. If you're a doctor, you know what's wrong with medicine today? It's not that medicine isn't more advanced than it's ever been. It's doctors' bedside man I'll be reading a book right now on that whole issue. Is it now doctors spend something like seven minutes? Something like that? Maybe that means that one. Where they used to sit down and spend 20 minutes with you, 30 minutes. And uh, there's just something about that common touch. And that's very important. And if we are filled with the Spirit, every believer is filled with the Spirit, and I have this man right here who's a lost man, And he has nothing in his body. He's just a natural person. And I lay my hands on him, and I'm filled with the Spirit. God can touch him through the power of the Spirit, because God's in my life, and he's not in his life. That's where the healing power comes. So prayer is important, but I don't think there's anything wrong with laying hands on people and praying for them. Okay, let's go back. Let's go back to uh, Luke chapter 4. Still with me? Luke chapter 4. That was my little sidetrack, okay? So the people come, and uh, he lays hands on them. Everyone are healed. Now watch this. Verse 41. And demons came out of many of those people whom he healed. The people with the various diseases. Look. Verse 41. And demons came out of many, crying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, What? Rebuked them. He rebuking them did not allow those demons to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. So again, we see that the people were sick, but what's causing the sickness in many of them? Demons. Not in all of them, but certainly in some some of them, the cause for their sickness is demons, and what's the solution? Rebuke. You see that? Rebuke. And then, notice again, just like in the first case that we saw where he told the guy to shut up and come out, the demon to shut up and come out, the demons again speak, and they identify Jesus. They identify him as the Son of God, middle of verse 41, and as the Christ at the end of 41, showing that those two terms are synonymous or interchangeable. So, what does Jesus do? He not only rebukes them, but he did not allow them to speak. Is that what he did back in verse 35? He said, "Be quiet." And guess what he says here? "Be quiet." Shut up. Yeah, shut up. So he doesn't allow them to speak. Now, why doesn't he allow them to speak? He yeah, made the devil speak for him. Okay, there's one reason. He doesn't need the <laughs> devil to speak for him. That's one reason. Second reason is that Jesus does not want his identity known at this point. Jesus, because once his identity is known, there's going to come a tremendous wave of excitement and people are going to try to make him their king, force him on the throne, number one. And there will be a tremendous amount of hostility from the Roman government because if he is the king, if he's the messiah, king of the Jews, that means he's a challenge to Rome, and that's going to sign his death sentence. So he's not ready for that. He doesn't want that to be revealed yet. So, he tells them to be quiet. Now the next event. Verse 42. Now, when it was day. Now we've gone from the morning of the Sabbath to the setting of the sun to now the sunrise. And when it was day, he departed and he went into a deserted place. So very early in the morning, he gets up and he goes into a deserted place and the implication is that he wants to get away from the crowds, he wants to get off by himself, he wants to get some peace and quiet. And so far in the Gospel of Luke, a desert place has been mentioned three times. The first time is he went out into the wilderness, out into the desert, and he was baptized. That's where John was, out there in the wilderness. And Jesus went out to a deserted place, and he was baptized. It was a place of preparation. The second time, he confronts the devil. He goes out in the wilderness and fasts for 40 days, and he confronts the devil, and that was a place of temptation, a place of preparation, a place of temptation. And now he goes out again to get away, be be away from the people and be with God, and it becomes a place of contemplation. And so here we see the desert desert place can be used for good or evil. (laughs) And in this case, Jesus is getting away probably to pray early in the morning, get off by with his father, and it's very interesting what happens then in verse 42. And the crowd sought him. They probably show up at Peter's mother-in-law's house. Say, Where is he? Can we see the miracle man? Hey, as soon as sunrise, they're going to bring the next wave of sick people. And they're hunting for him. And they say, well, he's you know, gone off by himself somewhere. And they came to him. And they tried to keep him from leaving. Just the opposite of what happened in his hometown of Nazareth. Where they wanted to cast him out. Here they want to keep him. And who wouldn't? This is what you do if you're in your, good, in your right mind. You'd want to keep the miracle worker around. They wanted to keep him. And they wanted to keep him from leaving. Now the sad thing is all these things could have happened in Nazareth. Because he said, today, this could be fulfilled in your sight. But they cast him out. And it just shows you the only difference is between whether you're receptive or whether you're resistant to Jesus. That's the extent of what he can do in your life. Whether you're receptive or whether you're resistant. Many times he said, the writers say, he couldn't do any miracles because the people lacked something. What was it? Faith. They didn't believe. "Ah, I just don't believe he can do that. I don't believe he's the Messiah. I don't believe he can heal. I don't believe he does it today. Whatever you want to say. It's either you're receptive or you are resistant. And so these people are receptive and they want him to stick around forever. Now look at verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach The kingdom of God to the other cities also. Notice the word must. It is an imperative. Notice (coughs) the topic that he must preach. (coughs) The kingdom of God. We're going to talk about that throughout the book of Luke. And then look what he says. I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. Now look at this next word. Because... For this reason, I have been sent. It's not only a necessity, it's a divine necessity. This is the reason that God has sent Jesus into the world to preach the kingdom of God. Now, what is the message of the kingdom of God? That message of the kingdom of God is that God is taking back creation. <laughs> Satan has captured creation. You remember when that happened? Garden of Eden. God is taking back creation. He's setting up a new world order. He's setting up his kingdom as opposed to the other kingdoms. He's setting a new world order where the demonized and the sick and women and others who live on the margins of life and those who are oppressed will be set free from all oppression And will be welcomed into God's kingdom. That's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is the opposite of the way the way the world operates. God is delivering the world from the power of evil. And so the gospel of the kingdom speaks of a clash between two kingdoms. You have the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom, which we see in this passage right here. Which is intent on keeping people in bondage. Through sickness, through demon possession, political bondage. intent on keeping people in bondage. What kind of bondage? Every kind of bondage you can think of. Political bondage, spiritual bondage, economic bondage. That's what Satan wants. Anytime you see oppression, that is a manifestation of Satan's kingdom. Christ's kingdom is intent on setting those captives free in every possible way. Satan's kingdom is intent on segregating people, separating women from men, rich from poor, slaves from free, clean. Separated from unclean. Segregation is part of Satan's kingdom. Separation. Divide, conquer. Divide, conquer. Divide, conquer. God's kingdom is intent on bringing about wholeness by bringing people together into a new community called the church where there's no longer male or female. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer free or slave. We're all one in Jesus Christ. That is what the message of the kingdom of God is about. Where everybody's a somebody and nobody's a nobody. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why his message was resisted by those people who had all the privileges and the ones who made the rules. Because all the rules were made for their advantage. And so Jesus is resisted by people like that. Even synagogue leaders. Now look finally at verse 44. So then what happens? And so now we have a summary statement. He said he had to go to the other cities, and so 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 it says, and so he was preaching in the synagogues, plural, in Galilee. Some translations say Judea, which simply means the land of the Jews. So he just starts going everywhere and preaching this same message, the gospel of the kingdom, and with the evidence for the manifestations of the kingdom. Uh, being displayed when he preaches that gospel message, setting those captives free. Next week we'll pick up a chapter 5 and verse 1 where he calls the disciples unto himself and he forms a team and so his ministry can be multiplied and be more effective out there. That's where we'll pick up next week. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this message. We thank you that we can see a contrast. Lord, may we examine our own hearts and see... If we are receptive people or whether we're resistive people, Lord, are we promoting the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness? Lord, help us to be Jesus' people. Help us to go out and boldly proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Help us, Lord, to put our arms around people, pray that they will be healed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.